welcome to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, the official podcast of hardcore bowhunters. From the latest archery equipment and expert shooting advice to proven bowhunting tactics and the sport's biggest personalities, we've got you covered. Now, here's your host, Editor Christian Bird. Alright, welcome back to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio. We are the voice of bowhunting and uh, it's a tremendous time of the year uh, to be a bowhunter. Uh, we've got big game seasons open now throughout the West. Whitetail seasons are opening up uh, any time now and man, I just uh, can't wait to get out there in a tree. Uh, I know all of you who are listening are probably you know, absolutely anxious to get out there and I know that my guest is uh, absolutely anxious as well. I've got uh, Mr. Sean uh, Furbrash, who is the Chief Operating Officer of the American Hunting Lease Association with me today. Sean, welcome to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio. Thank you, Christian. It is an absolute honor to be here. Well, you know, I know that uh, you mentioned before we started recording, you know, you're you're absolutely chomping at the bit to get down to Kentucky to your lease there and, and start taking advantage of some of this early whitetail hunting. But I guess you're hoping for some temperatures under 90 degrees before you climb up. Yeah, as bad as I want to sit in a tree, I still want to be comfortable. And so uh, the last thing I want to do is go down and mess it all up. But yeah, I'll, I'll wait for some sort of temperature drop or something. Uh, I don't know, maybe even the mid-70s would get me down there. But right now, I'm just going to sit in this office. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, Kentucky's one of those states that uh, certainly maybe uh, five or ten years ago was considered a sleeper state. But I don't think it's too much of a secret anymore. And, uh, and that seems to be on pretty much everybody's list as a place that... Uh, they want to go chase whitetails. It really is. I mean, I got to tell you, I think the state of Kentucky just has it figured out. You know, I, I just think their their bag limits, their their uh, the rules, the regulations, their season, just everything seems to fit perfectly. And I don't hear much of, of a bad word from residents or non-residents hunting out of Kentucky. Yeah, well, actually, it's a it's a great state, really, for non-residents. And this will probably lead us right into you know your your bailiwick, which is hunting leases, because. Because, you know, you look at some states around the country that are known as really great whitetail states. Iowa is probably the prime example. You know, everybody wants to hunt whitetails in Iowa, but you can't get an archery license but once every four or five years. And even in states like Illinois or Kansas, even though you can usually get a tag, it's really not guaranteed because you still have to enter a draw. Uh, Kentucky, you know, and other states like it, Ohio, uh, you know, your home state there in in Indiana would be another one. You know, it's great to know that you can uh, hunt every single year and you're guaranteed to get that tag. So Kentucky's great from from that respect, for sure. Yeah, I agree. You know, I, I always I like to go to Missouri occasionally, um, but yeah, it's and landowners who lease their land they see the value. You know, there's the the a lease value in land in Kentucky and Missouri is frankly higher than in Iowa because it's just a supply and demand thing. Sure, people can use it. You know. Yeah. Right, exactly. So, so let's talk about, uh, you know, it's, it's certainly timely to talk a little bit about hunting leases. I mean, probably a lot of folks who are listening right now have a hunting lease, but if they're anything like me, they've never heard of the American Hunting Lease Association. So why don't you tell me a little bit about what you guys are all about? How long have you been around and, and what do you do? 
Well, the, the, the American Hunting Lease Association was created in 2010 uh, with the intent to guide uh, or advise, educate landowners in particular and hunters about the benefits of a mutual relationship, which is leasing land. Um, the, we serve as a trade association for really for the whole hunting lease industry. And people are surprised here. There's there's an actual industry. And then there really is. There's uh, even starting in the south with uh, large foresters and forest companies. Um, they lease all of their land to hunt clubs down in uh, that, that part of the country. And it has become much more popular really over the last 20, 25 years here in the Midwest. Um, but what we do is we just just what I just said. We, we guide landowners who might call us and say, hey, I don't know how this works. What should I do? How should I proceed? I've got some land that's not being hunted anymore, and I'd like to get to, to realize some of the revenue. And what we tell them is, well, here's what you're going to need to do. And you can do this on your own. There are plenty of hunting lease brokers um, out there, and they do a fantastic job. If, if people out of state can't get out and go look at a lot of land or they don't want to knock on doors, um, those brokers uh, serve a great purpose. But for those people who want to work out a deal privately with the landowner, they just need two things, what we preach, and that is you're going to need a contract. Just a uh, strong, customizable contract that will address everybody's issues. We also recommend that you have a, a liability policy, insurance policy in place that simply protects the hunter's and the landowner against liability or damage that they may cause each other accidentally. And really that's what the landowners need. And that's usually what they say, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm in for the lease as long as I'm not risking my assets here by letting somebody on my property to hunt. Gotcha. So you guys offer resources to uh, help people, whether, like you said, it's a landowner, uh, a hunter, um, to get that in place. So you have educational materials, things like that, maybe a website or where would people go? Let's say I'm a hunter and uh, I've been talking to a, a landowner, you know, about leasing his ground. What kind of resources do you have available to me? Well, if you could go to our website, which is at uh, ahuntinglease.org, and we work literally year-round on, on providing content. And, you know, content is king now. Uh, we've got educational articles and pieces uh, in our blog. We have got brochures um, or pamphlets that um, – you can download and print out. We've got a, a comprehensive PDF about accessing private land, how to access private land. And, and I won't go into all of it because I would love for your listeners to, to jump on and download it. It's free. Um, and it just talks about taking care of the landowner. Really, it, it talks a little bit about before you spend thousands of dollars on apparel and guns and ammo and bows and arrows and all that stuff that you think about the landowner who's actually spending money on operational costs and insurance and those type things. Uh, um, and work out an offer to, to work out a lease agreement. But those can all be found on our website. Um, yeah, like I said, we're, we work around the clock all year just to provide this kind of guidance to anybody who might not know how a hunting lease works um, and, and certainly how popular they've become because they are across the country now the, the, the way to go, certainly in my opinion. Yeah, talk to me about that. Uh, you know, you mentioned an industry, you know, that you're a trade association to represent the leasing industry. And like you said, some people might not necessarily realize the scope and scale of, of hunting leases across the country. I don't know, but you might. Is there any ballpark figure that you guys would use as you speak to, you know, 
government people or, or what have you, real estate organizations? What, you know, what's the value of the hunting lease industry, uh, you know, nationwide? And, and talk to me a little bit also about why you think the leasing is getting so popular or more and more popular as the years go by. Okay. Um, I don't have a total figure on, I, I know there was a the study, the last uh, study done that was published in 2016. Um, and, and for some reason, and I don't want to just throw out a number, but it seems like around 200 million or something like that dollars were spent on access. Hunters and access. Gotcha. When we talk to um, hunters that, that have hung up their, their bow or their gun for the last time, or we talk to people who say, look, I used to hunt, but I don't anymore. The number one issue is access. I just don't have access anymore. I don't have access. So I think the reason that it's become so popular is just that. And, and there's those folks who say leasing creates a lack of access, but it really doesn't because there are people willing to pay. And, and, and you know, the biggest misconception about leasing is that it's just for the rich. You know, it's just a bunch of executives or doctors out there that are leasing up all the ground or guides and outfitters. And I'm just here to tell you, it's just patently false. It's not true. The, the overwhelming majority of folks we talk to or we see come in our office occasionally are wearing fluorescent vests or Carhartt coveralls. And they just have, they've, they've placed a higher priority on hunting than other people. And so they do choose to lease because when you lease property, and we, we recommend, we re, uh, recognize a traditional lease, which is an annual lease. So you get to that particular property, you have access all year long. So in starting in January, you can walk around the property, you can see where the trails were, you get a good idea of how the deer moved. Um, in the spring, you can mushroom hunt, turkey hunt, you can put out some uh, minerals and start running trail cameras or in early summer, squirrel hunt in August, start waterfowling if you want to do that, and then right back to hanging stands and, and hunting deer in the fall. So it is a year-long you know, obsession with a lot of us. I enjoy walking around my leases two or, you know, multiple times throughout the year just to get a good idea and spend some time out there. So we're just convinced that, that the hunting lease is a relationship or, or a, um, a benefit, if you will, to hunters, and but really to even more so to landowners because if a landowner has property, they're sitting on, let's say, 200 acres, and maybe this particular landowner, they're getting uh, a little aged and they don't hunt, their family's moved away, they don't hunt. They have a couple of different options, and one of them is as they live maybe on a fixed income is to start selling off their property, and then you don't know when they sell that land off that's where we lose access. That's where we need to conserve and preserve that habitat. And if we can show them, hey, you can make seven, $8,000 a year maybe on that property, that might be enough for them to say, you know what, this is a great arrangement. I love having the same three or four hunters back there all year long. I know them. They're friends of ours now. They pay attention to places that we can't go. And you know what, we make a little bit of money that helps us with taxes or anything like that. And so the arrangement really just works for everybody when it's done correctly. And really the only time it's not done correctly is if they, there's not a written agreement or they don't understand each other's expectations. And that's the kind of stuff we preach every day. Right. Now you talk about the fact that leasing, you know, is not, you know, just for wealthy folks. And, you know, I agree with you, but 
give people some ballpark. I realize, you know, it's going to vary by property and also by by region. But just generally speaking, you know, what kind of a what kind of a price are people paying these days for a for a good deer lease? You know, is it usually done on a per acre basis, or or how does that calculate it? It usually is done on a per acre basis, yes. Um, I've got a, a fantastic lease in southern Indiana right now that I'm paying about $22 an acre for. Um, and and let, me, I'll, let me tell you a real quick story. And, you know, when, when you see, some people see a lease is $3,500. And I think who would pay $3,500 just to hunt? But you, well, could, you could also you split that four or five ways, too, absolutely. right? Absolutely. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Before I had the good fortune to take over this this company, um, I was an Indianapolis firefighter. So for the last 26 years, I was a firefighter, you know, blue collar, not rich in any way, shape, or form. We found a farm in southern Indiana. It was probably one of the best farms I've ever hunted. Uh, it was 200 acres. Uh, it was 42 hundred dollars I think and there were six of us on it so you know you look at forty two hundred dollars and that's that's a pretty tall number for a lot of folks and it is and I don't discount that but when you divide it between six it was seven hundred dollars yeah and ever all of us were firemen and we all said the same thing let's each work two overtime shifts and we're paid we're the or there's our share and so literally we just traded 48 hours of our time in the off season and we can hunt one of like I said, one of the best farms I've ever been on all year long. And so it's it's very doable. Leasing is very, very doable. Yeah, so another question, a couple more questions on, on leasing. So if I'm a, if you're, okay, you, I say if, or you are, I mean, you're, you're an avid bow hunter, right? Yes, absolutely. Okay, so, so what advice would you give to me or anyone who's listening? Uh, okay, you're a bow hunter or maybe you're a small group of bow hunters. You've got yourself and three or four friends and you know like you say you've you've uh, maybe you've lost access to places where you had permission or some properties have changed hands and you're kind of getting tired of that uh, and you'd like to you know have a little bit more security uh, make sure that you're going to have a, a quality place to hunt you know for this year and maybe some years uh, into the future w- what do we want to look for as we're out there maybe trying to figure out you know how to find a good place uh, to lease for hunting well, I think honestly, the place the place that starts around the place that you know, maybe places that you might drive or that you're hunting now. Take a look around. See, you know that that you, maybe you never see hunters on this particular piece of ground, but uh, and you can approach the landowner about you know I don't see anybody hunting there. Do you allow hunting or just the opposite? Seems like I see a different truck here every day. Um, you know, would you be opening open to to letting us hunt on your property? But what I always look start at is. Uh, Every state, every county in every state that I know of has a uh, GIS website. You know, um, you could go to Rush County, Indiana, GIS's website. It's their their county website, and it'll tell you every parcel and the landowner, and typically will give you their address. Not their phone number so much, but their address. It's an invaluable place to start because you can honestly write a letter and make 50 copies and then just get addresses of places or, or properties that you'd like to hunt and send those folks a letter and say, you know, this is who I am. This is what I'd be interested in. Would you be open to a meeting? And so instead of knocking on doors, which, you know, I, I recognize as a, as a tradition, 
situation, it just doesn't work that much anymore. But instead, so instead of knocking on doors saying, can I hunt here? Why don't you start sending a letter or some sort of correspondence that way and saying, would you be open to a, uh, you know, an arrangement where we paid to, uh, to hunt your property? And then just start the dialogue that way. Because I think folks know their own areas better. You know, I know the, the parcel of ground that I can't get on, that I want to get on. I know where that is. I know who owns it. And on the Internet, it's all available to me. Everything is right there. Sure. And obviously, you know, once you get onto a piece of property and you can scout it a little bit, you're going to get a you're going to get a pretty good idea as to whether you think it's going to be a, a productive hunting property or not. So we don't have to go through all that. But let's say you do identify a piece of ground. You know, you've made contact with a landowner and it is a piece of ground that you're interested in leasing. Obviously, you know, if you go through a, a lease broker, they're going to maybe handle the negotiations for you. Maybe they've got a price or already established. But if you're just doing it on your own, you, you know, for as a first time, uh, you know, leaseholder and maybe the property owner's never done any leasing before, how do you figure out, you know, what's the value per acre for that lease and then putting the agreement together? I know, obviously, your association would probably have some, some sample, you know, agreements and things like that. <laughs> I think, again, you can go on the internet. All these brokers uh, typically have, you know, similar leases or similar uh, properties in that area. So that'll give you a pretty good idea. You know, you can be anywhere from $10 an acre to $40 an acre in this country, in the Midwest, in the Midwest. Mm you know, I would, the first thing I would do is I would get my hunt club together. Okay. It's my, me and my group of three buddies. So there's four of us, let's say I would set some expectations. What do we want to do? Because even though we each pay $700 for this lease, I guarantee you each of us is not killing a booner on this property. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> no, Sometimes come on, man. What am I getting for I my know, $700? Bucks. So people think, you know, I spent this money, you know, you're, this isn't a guided deal. This is just free chase. You get to hang stands. You get to decide when you hunt, where you hunt. You get to do all that, and that's the that's the allure of this. Um, but just set some some common expectations, and then the other one is money. What can we spend? What do you guys want to spend total on this hunting lease this year? On this experience? You know, it's like you know, if we're let's go golf. Where do you want to golf? You want to golf down at the municipal course, or do you want to go golf at the private club? You know, what do we want to spend? What are our expectations? And then I'd kind of let that guide you. Um, but yeah, anywhere in the Midwest, I think you're going to be doing pretty, pretty good for $20 an acre anywhere in the Midwest. You go further South, a little less, um, places that are really hot, like Southern Ohio, uh, Northern Missouri that you can grab tags, Kentucky. We, we mentioned there are parts of Kentucky. You might get up to 30 or so dollars an acre. Gotcha. So as a guide, that's about what you can expect. And, you know, another thing that obviously you mentioned before, and, you know, we, we ought to cover, I think, is, um, you know, both for yourself as a hunter, as well as the landowner, to have some kind of an insurance policy for your lease is key, because I would imagine that covers everything from um, you know, whether you personally have some kind of a, you know, a, an accident or get injured or something like that. But even if you have, say, a trespasser who maybe comes into your lease during the course of the season, maybe something happens with that person where you don't obviously want to have, you know, your personal home and, and assets on the line. And nor does the landowner want to have, you know, his property or uh, his assets, you know, potentially at risk in that situation. 
Oh, you're absolutely right. Our, you know, our policy um, that we sell here is, or we provide, covers everybody. And, and, but it's it's liability insurance. So, you know, one thing I always tell people when they buy this is liability insurance never pays you. You This pays somebody else in case you damage them, in case you accidentally shoot an irrigation panel, you know, uh, and you've, you've caused damage. The landowner will come to you and say, hey, that's a $5,000 piece of equipment if, you know, this insurance policy covers that, provided it's accidental and those kind of things. And likewise, if a hunter is walking through the woods in the dark and, and falls in a well, you know, an old an old cistern, just some old hole that nobody knew was there or hadn't thought of, he's going to be upset. He's a you know, landowner. You should have told me that it was there. And the landowner's like, I had just had no idea or I haven't been out there in years. This covers that. So... Well, hunt clubs, landowners, you can you can you know enjoy this leasing arrangement, knowing full well that everybody's covered or protected uh, against basically each other. Uh, I mean, you know, we get tree stands. You know, we do have coverage from tree stands and ATVs. But if you're just out joyriding on your ATV and you're you know you're doing fifty through the woods and you hit a tree, this is not medical insurance for you. Right. This is insurance for you if you damage something. So that's we we get that call occasionally. Um, you know, even falling out of tree stands. You know, if you hung your tree stand and you're not wearing a harness and you fall out of your tree stand, this insurance policy is not for you. Right. This is, you know, somebody else hung out. Even club members, I could hang a tree stand and I don't hang it right. And I tell you, Christian, go get my tree stand. That's a good one. And you fall out of my tree stand because I didn't hang it right. You actually have a case. You can file a claim on the policy against me because I didn't paying it right 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 somebody else is liable so you know that kind of leads us right into another important topic that i know we wanted to cover today you talked about tree stands um you know in addition and i want to thank you by the way sean there's a lot of good information about leasing i think i mean i you've seen it obviously in your industry i know you know just anecdotally from the folks that i know and people that i talk to around the country i mean more and more hunters for sure are definitely interested in in leasing and i think people are going to be interested in what you had to say and certainly want to check out your website uh tell me what that was again so people can find you Sure, it's, uh, it's ahuntinglease.org. I'm going to get on there as soon as we're done with this today. I want to check out what you've got <laughs> on there. But, Please do. Yeah, I, love, I love it. <laughs> is there a, by, the, by the way, before I move on, is there a membership or something? I mean, like, can I join your organization? Nope. No. Absolutely not. Your, your, your membership, if, if you buy a policy, we include a membership with your policy. Other than that, everything on our website is completely free for anybody to look at. Cool. All right. Well, I'm definitely checking it out now because I am I am frugal I like free free is a good price <laughs> good deal <laughs> um, so yeah you mentioned tree stands and I know that uh, you know actually uh, tree stand safety okay not it's not the sexiest topic and a matter of fact you know usually uh, I kind of get the eye roll from some guys you know when you want to talk about tree stand mm-hmm. safety but it's no joke and, and I'm going to tell you a little story and then I'm going to throw it out to you because Sean in addition to being the COO at the American Hunting Lease Association is also um, involved very, very heavily 
with a group, uh, I believe, that you helped actually form and, and get organized, the Tree Stand Safety Awareness Foundation. And I'm going to let you talk about this a little bit, but I'm going to tell you a little story, okay? I've got uh, one of my neighbors um, has uh, a son and uh, a son-in-law, the young guys, they're in their 20s, good, strapping young lads, very avid bow hunters, and uh, great Great to have them around because I'll sometimes enlist them to help me hang stands or move heavy things around in the woods. And uh, But the one guy, I just this past weekend gave him a hunter safety system harness that I had extra uh, in because he's never been using a harness and this is a guy again I'm sure he thinks he's bulletproof he's super in shape he works out all the time you know he looks like you know an Adonis but I'm like you can't keep doing that man he's married to my neighbor's daughter they're building a house I'm sure there's going to be some kids on the way soon I'm like you know your years of just running up the tree with no harness have got to come to an end you know you've got a family to think about and you got to get serious about this and so he kind of agreed with me and now he has an HSS harness and I'm like okay now that you have this thing the next step is to actually make sure you put it on when you go out and go hunting but it is amazing to me that here in 2018 there are still so many bow hunters out there uh, you know gun hunters all kinds of hunters who are going up into stands without a harness Sean I can't imagine it I really can't either. I, it, it blows my mind um, that anybody would go up 25 feet in the air. I mean, you can fall asleep up there. You've got to shift your weight up there. There's just so much that can go wrong. And I just don't think until you've fallen, even from 10 feet, and I don't mean out of a tree stand. I mean, you fall anywhere, you know, jump off the top of your pickup truck and land on a shoulder or on your back. It's, it's debilitating. And, and I don't think there's a real appreciation for the damage that can be done in a 20 to 25 foot fall by, by most hunters. And I'll tell you a surprising uh, statistic or fact that when we conducted this survey or this, this research, when, when, uh, the president of the of the foundation, Glenn Mayhew, he did some research. The uh, the person or age person that falls the most is 46 years old. 46-year-old men are falling at a higher rate than anybody else out of a tree stand, mm. according to reports. You know, those are emergency room visits and all the kind of things. So, you know, I'm, I'm just a little older than that. I was shocked to find out that you're kidding me. That's... I'm the, the dads are the ones that are falling out of the tree. And, I, and, you know, I can only guess as to why that is, but you forget your harness. You know, you might even be halfway to your tree stand from your truck and go, oh, I forgot to put my harness on. And, ah, it's be okay. I've climbed this tree a thousand times. And it just takes that one particular time, unfortunately. Yeah. So, but, yeah, the the young hunters, you know, I've got a, I've got a new son-in-law here. Uh, well, about a year now. But I've been around him for a while, and he's a big hunter. You know, he loves to hunt. And uh, the first time I asked him, I said, you wear a harness, you know, every time you, you – no, I never wear one of those things. You're kidding. Explain this to me now that you're, you know, you're about to marry my daughter. Explain to me, you know, how that works. Well, I have a climbing tree stand, so I don't need one. And what a huge misconception that is. You know, climbing tree stands have nuts and bolts and, and uh, all kinds of things, cables, yeah. all susceptible to breaking. 
all you get all you you start at the bottom of a tree on a, and everybody's you know if you use the climber and by the time you get 10 12 feet up it's starting to narrow which means your tree stand starting to lose its grip just a hair you know or the angles are certainly starting to change by the time you get 15 20 feet up in the air there might be moss covered on that tree you don't know yeah and once you and especially in the dark and you get up and it can slip it can it, there's just so much that can go wrong um a simple safety harness virtually eradicates that. You know, it virtually eliminates tree stand falls. So it's it, it still amazes me. But but you know, we're we're trying to do everything we can. September now is Tree Stand Safety Awareness Month, and I agree with you. This is not the sexiest topic in the world. But man, uh, we we try and press a couple things upon people. And the first one is it's just not about you. It's not about you today. It's about your family. It's about your wife or your kids. They need you. To to come home and that's you know do I sound a little dramatic I do but it's it's happening people men and women are falling out of tree stands and, and their lives are changed forever you don't get a second chance every time and I've you know I, I know of a story here in Indiana where a hunter fell he was hunting with his dad his dad actually found him and was basically sat with him um, he had a broken neck and sat with him until he could get him out and then the young man passed away later that's that's unacceptable frankly yeah. it's just it's just I a mean, hunter yeah as as much Come as on. as much as we all love to hunt and as important as it is what a you know and you hate to say this in the midst of a tragedy but it's true what a stupid way to die because it's just so preventable in other words i love hunting right i actually you and I both, we, we make a full-time living in the hunting industry. We have a, a passion for hunting. But I'm going to tell you right. something right now. I do not want to die over my next hunt. And there's no reason to do it over falling out of a tree stand when there's a harnesses available. In fact, they come with pretty much every single tree stand that's sold nowadays. And all you have to do is use the darn thing. Yeah, just put it on. And then, you know, it's it's just been, oh, heck, I, I want to say five or six years. Somebody showed me a lifeline, you know, or a safety rope. Oh, yeah, those, those things are the best. the best. I just stared at it like, I, how did we, how did this not, you know, this should have been a thing a long time ago. You know, and, and if your listeners that don't know or they're not sure about what a lifeline is, it's a simple climbing rope. It's a rope that goes around the tree stand up above your head, goes all the way to the ground. There's a, a, a unique knot called a prussic knot uh, that can slide up and down. Your fingers can literally slide that knot up and down a rope. But if it's quickly jerked on, it will lock in place so you can't fall. You bring that knot with you to the ground. You hook in with your harness. Before you ever leave the ground, you can't fall. You literally cannot fall if you're connected from the time you leave the ground to the time you get back down to the ground. Yep. And now every set, every stand I hung, hang, you better believe has a lifeline. Some of them have two on them just because if somebody goes up with me. Well, I'll tell you something. So, I, I really appreciate the outfitters around the country who put those lifelines on all their stands because that makes me feel so much more secure. And, you know, it's funny nowadays, you know, thankfully we have made a lot of progress when it comes to tree stand safety and people's awareness of the importance of using a harness. But it really, 
you know, you go back 20 years, that wasn't nearly so common. And I remember, you know, and you're, sounds like you're a few years older than me, not too many. Uh, we've, we've both been, I guarantee you and I have both been in this situation. And most of the people listening have been, okay? You're hunting with an outfitter or you're hunting with a buddy on a property that you're not familiar with. And they drive you out into the field in the dark, right? They drop you off in the pitch black at the head of a trail. And they say, now you're going to, you know, you walk down here 50 yards, take a left at the willow tree, go another 200 yards, cross the creek, pass the big rocks. And on the right hand side, you'll see the stand. Can't miss it, you know. And so you fumble around out there in the dark with your headlamp and you finally find, you know, this this tree stand that you've worked up a big sweat getting turned around out there and and, and and the sun's about coming up by the time you finally find this stand that was supposed to be so easy to, to find and you look up at the stand and your heart just sinks because here up to that stand is a few you know screw in tree steps that are about six feet apart and it's about 25 feet up and it looks like it's held onto the tree by a ratchet strap that was put up about eight years ago and it's half chewed through by the squirrels and you're thinking nobody's coming to get me for like at least eight hours do I really want to climb into this tree or do I want to sit here on the ground you you know, and usually you climb into that tree and it's about one of the scariest things that you'll do all year, like getting up to that thing and then making the transition from the steps onto the platform and praying to God that the thing holds you when you put your weight on it. And like you think about some of the things that we did back in the day and it's a miracle that we're all still here. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you're described. I just wrote an article not just last month about almost the exact scenario you just described. It was by it was an uncle that was teaching me to hunt for the first time, and I said, "Am I supposed to climb in that thing?" And he said, "Sure." And I was like, "It looks to me just like a folding chair that's been nailed to the tree." <laughs> I've seen some and, of those. Oh, but you can see better from up there. I'm like, I really don't care. I'm good. <laughs> you know, I'll I'll do. I'll take my chances on the ground. Maybe not see a deer, but there was no way I could shoot a gun from up there you know yeah there's just no way so yeah it's so true but yeah we uh just you know even if you look at it from a business standpoint think of uh somebody who has a a negative experience falling out of a tree you know they lose somebody or, or uh somebody is is permanently put in a wheelchair because they fell out of a tree stand it's not just that person that doesn't hunt anymore that person, any anybody that's around that person, and the kids, their their, their children, probably are going to say, you know what, I just kind of lost my nerve for it. I just didn't want to do it anymore, you know, after dad fell. And so I understand that. It, it can affect generations. And as hunters, and, you know, that enjoy, like you said, we have a passion for this sport, we're losing hunter numbers at a ridiculous rate. And and I have to think this is one of the reasons, is that some of the perception is, ah, just, you know, somebody fell or somebody didn't, you know, accidentally got shot well it's safety is safety is paramount you gotta take care of you have to be safe before you're anything you know well and the great thing is so so you take that same scenario that i just described okay and now you put a lifeline on that tree Oh man, it makes me feel like a monkey. 
you know, because I get to that same stand and I'm like, ah, those those steps are pretty far apart. And, you know, that stands pretty high. And, you know, that platform doesn't look like it's quite level. All of a sudden you put a lifeline on that tree and I clip into that lifeline and I'm up that tree like literally like I'm a monkey, man. I'm like whoop, right up there. Jump on that platform because I know, like you said, you know, if something goes wrong, I'm not going anywhere. You know what I mean? And it's going to be okay. So, you know, that is, I tell you, it's made a world of difference for my comfort level in the tree. And it actually really helps you as a hunter because, you know, sometimes you have to get in a little bit of an awkward position to make a shot. And it's a lot easier to do that when you know that you can't hit the ground. Okay, so there is there's not just, you know, I mean, you'd think that everybody would just do it because it's the right thing to do. And it literally could save your life. But unfortunately, we know that that's not saving your life's not really good enough reason for some people. So maybe we have to market it like it'll help you be more confident to make the shot on that big buck, (laughs) you know, and then guys will be, okay, then, you know, I'll, I'll do it. Right. You know what? Whatever works. If that's what it takes, then then so be it. I've actually talked to folks uh, uh, on the foundation about, you know, maybe we should, all of our marketing, uh, maybe it should be, and, and by the way, we're not for profit. So when I say marketing, we're not selling a thing. But maybe all of our material, our education stuff should be, should be in, you know, at, at the big box stores in the, in the ladies section. And you know, maybe we should pose the question, does your husband wear a harness? You know, does, does your dad wear a harness? Do your sons wear harnesses every time you go out? That that will create some interesting conversation at the dinner table. Yeah. You know, do you have the boys in harnesses when you go out? Oh, uh, well, uh, uh, you know, we, we try. Well, if mom says, hey, that's not enough. Or, or your wife says, hey, that's no, that's unacceptable. We've got baby at home now. That's probably one of the things I think that's going to that, that you know they have more influence than anybody. People, somebody used to tell me, you know, uh, saggy pants. You know, sagging pants become real popular. Somebody said, you know who can stop the sagging pants are the girls. If the girls said, I hate those pants when they're sagging like that, the boys would stop doing it 100%. And I, I completely agree. If the ladies in our lives insisted we wear harnesses, we'd wear them, period. Well, I'll tell you, you talk about influence. I'll tell you another way that we can have influence as hunters. And I've used this. You know you know how some people don't like to wear seatbelts, Sean? You know, and they yep. ne- they never wear them. But I have a feeling, especially yourself being a former firefighter, you've seen your share of carnage over the years. I- I'm I'm positive. I bet you if I get into your truck, even if I never wear the seatbelt in my own car, I bet you Sean doesn't start the engine and pull out of the driveway until I put my seatbelt on, right? Hundred percent. Okay. One hundred percent correct. So here's the deal. That's how I operate my hunting. So if I have buddies who don't like to wear harness, I'm like, hey, man, if you don't want to wear a harness when you go hunting, that's fine. But if you're coming hunting with me, whether it's you're just coming over to my house or one of the farms that I hunt near home, you ain't going into any one of my stands if you don't put this harness on. You ain't going on this trip with me if you don't wear a harness. So that's how, you know, I use a little bit of my influence where, you know, that's just the way it is. 
you know, you do my hunting, my rules. You know, I can't tell you what to do when you do your hunting, but if you're under my, you know, if you're under my roof, you follow my rules. <laughs> That's the way to be. I agree 100%. And I, I'll be selfish about it. Hey, I don't want you to fall out of a tree stand because I don't want you to mess up my hunt. I don't want to have to come take care of you, you know. Uh, you, you're 100% right. You you set the rules, and as as we get older, we do have more influence. You know, it's just it's nature that we we tend to be the people that that, that uh, arrange the lease or we have the property, so we can set the rules. And and even if they whine a little bit about it, too bad. You want to hunt? This is how you do it. And when they learn that way, they'll pass that on. I'm I'm confident. Oh yeah, I mean, and that's actually you talk about a lease, or if you're a landowner and you let people hunt on permission or whatever. I mean, you should have a policy in place. You know, whether it's your hunting club or, or you're a landowner. I mean, that should be a requirement. Nobody, you know, hunts from a stand if they're not in a harness. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, we. Had, my landowner last year, I he was out with us when we were hanging stands, and and I showed him a lifeline. He said, "No, what's that?" And I was like, "This is this will keep me from falling out of a tree stand and, and protect all of us." And you, I just you should have seen the look on his face. It actually stuck with me because he looked at it and he looked at me like I'll be darned. And, and it was just the light kind of came on for him that you really are out here to to do this the right way. Mm-hmm. And you know, and that's that's how you start a positive relationship. Yeah. And I'll be able to hunt that farm as long as I want. So what are some of the, I mean, obviously everyone knows about wearing a harness, but is there particular tips or advice that you're offering to people? Or are you just trying to get people to use them or they have to know how to use them properly? Obviously, you guys as a Tree Stand Safety Awareness Foundation, you have some some resources and things like that similar to what you do on the leasing side. Is there a website or something where they can connect with you guys? There, there is. We have our website is at uh, treestandsafetyawareness.org. Uh, and there is some, there are some, uh, some downloadable, some, some resources there that they can download. Uh, we're still a fairly young organization, and so we are working on content all the time. Um, you know, everybody that sits on the board of directors for our organization has other full-time jobs, so we, we get to this as much as we can uh, in our spare time. So there is more content to come, but there's some there. But there's there's one particular that I'll, I'll, um, I'll I'd like to mention, and it's real simple. It's just the ABC of tree stand safety. The A is always, always inspect your equipment. We say remove and inspect. So I, I would love for everybody to, to take your tree stand down every year and then the ladder sticks down. Take them home, inspect them. Make guilty. sure they're not rusted. Make sure guilty, yeah. guilty, guilty, I, guilty. I was too. <laughs> Until, well, you get it set just right. I'm lazy. I'm lazy. I don't want to take them down. I want to leave them in there forever. If I have to replace a strap, I'll replace a strap. <laughs> <laughs> and I know it makes sense, but you just, you never know. And, and, you know, especially here in the Midwest, you're in Pennsylvania, you get it. I mean, we have hot summers, we have cold winters, we get ice storms and, and squirrels and rodents. And it's just take them down, always remove them, inspect them, and make sure before you put them back up, they're good. So that's the A. The B is buckle your harness. So you have to wear a harness, has to be buckled. You know, we say a full body harness. I was guilty many years ago. I mean, I was trying to be safe, but I just had a waist belt. Oh, the old I had a waist belt that went yeah. around my waist and one that went around the tree. And, you know, I was safer than most guys I knew, frankly. Yeah. So I remember buckle those. your harness. What's that? No, go ahead. I said, I remember those. I used to wear them. Yeah. Until yeah. we knew that they were like death traps, right? 
Right. Yeah, I've never tested one, so I didn't know that I was going to hang upside down, you know, for for hours. But uh, and then the C and our ABCs is connected. Stay connected from the time you leave the ground to the time you get back, and that's by using a, a lifeline or a safety rope or you know the properly rated rope. Uh, you get you a thirty foot piece. Um, you can use a lineman's belt when you climb it the first time, and you get that lifeline on there, and you are good to go. You know, climb with confidence, as they say. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, if there's anybody out there who needs a harness, you know, you can just you just shoot me an email at bowhunting at outdoorsg.com. I'll make sure you get one because I got plenty of them in my in my garage because, like I said, every stand comes with one. There's no excuse. You know, chances are if you don't have one, you, you have you got one sitting around or you have a buddy who does, you know. I mean, they're not super fancy, but every every one that comes with those stands, those are all TMA approved harness. Is they'll save you, man. You don't need Absolutely. you don't need a two hundred dollar safety harness. You know they're nice, but but that's no excuse. You know not to use one. Yeah, so, I mean, if you've got any listener that's just kind of been on the, the, you know, the fence on whether they want to start wearing them or not, you know, I, I implore you, just make this year the year you say, I'm, I'm wearing one every time I go out. You know, this is it. I'm I'm done being, uh, I, I won't even call you lazy. You just, you're not used to it. You feel like it's going to be restrictive, and it's just not. Commit to wearing one every single time, and, and you, you'll be a better hunter for it. You really yeah. will be. Yeah. Well, like you said, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, it's just, it's not lazy, but it, it might be selfish. You know, if you don't want to do it for you, then we always say, you know, you got to do it for your mama, your, your grandma, your wife, your girlfriend, whoever, there's somebody, you know, somebody wants you to come home. So make sure. Absolutely correct. Yeah. Well, Sean, uh, that was great, man. Lots of good information about leasing, about tree stand safety, and uh, we got to reward everyone who stuck with us to this point. So I think as a reward, we should get the uh, the Sean Furbrash uh, deer season <laughs> predictions. Okay, so for those okay. of us in the in the Midwest uh, who are just kind of getting geared up, I know we open here at the very end of September. I told you before we started, I'll be heading down to Southern Ohio for their opener, which is the same day, the 29th, that we open here in Pennsylvania. I think pretty much by the beginning of October, deer seasons will be in pretty much everywhere guys are hunting whitetails. So what's your outlook for the season? What did you see this summer uh, on your cameras? And uh, what do you predict for the rut of 2018? Um, actually, I've been looking at the uh, the way the moon falls with the time, and I'm a kind of a moon guy. Um, I think we're in for a, an earlier rut. I think the hollow, uh, the last week of October is going to be better than normal, and it's usually pretty darn good. Um, it's certainly where I'm hunting. So uh, I look for a kind of a, a really strong rut, and that's kind of based on the weather. The rut's the same, and I won't go into all of that. Um, the weather makes them more visible, I think, during daylight, if, uh, if we can get some weather to cooperate with us. Um, I've got a pretty good deer on camera down in Kentucky, and I think my best chance to get him on the ground is early. So I am looking for an early break in the weather here in the next 10 days, hopefully, to get down when he's still patternable and see if I can't get him on the ground and then uh, come up to Indiana and kind of enjoy my time here. So I'm excited, as I always am, but uh, I, I hope to be done before gun season starts. Uh, now, now how good is pretty how good is pretty good by your standards 
A buck? Yeah, yeah. You said he's pretty good. I mean, I, I need, he's pretty I need good. more. He'll be, he'll, <laughs> I need he more details. One, 160 plus. Okay. And, and, so you're, and you're, think, you were going to send the GPS coordinates on that lease over yeah, after the yeah, show, I, right? Yeah, I've got him tied up to a tree. So, yeah, he's Perfect. not going anywhere. <laughs> so, no, I, just, I don't have a – I was hoping he'd, he'd be a booner, but I've looked at it, this picture a thousand times, and I don't think he's going to quite make Boone and Crockett. But uh, as uh, my – I won't say friend, but Eddie Salter used to say he's plenty big enough to ride in my truck any day. Yes, sir. Well, I'll tell you what, man. I I, uh, I enjoyed talking to you, and uh, I certainly wish you the best with that buck down in Kentucky. And uh, at home in Indiana, I'm sure you've got uh, plenty of good ones. I actually think, uh, you know, Indiana is one, not that you haven't had a good reputation, but that's, I think your home state is kind of an up-and-comer, too. I think more and more people are paying attention to the Hoosier State. We don't like to let that out. <laughs> I know, I know. You're, you're exactly right, though. There's a, hey, there's there. This is a great place to uh, to, to hunt whitetail deer. It really is. Um, and, and I think we've had some issues with our DNR. I think, again, that's a personal opinion. Um, being a little liberal, but I, I think they're coming back, and they've put some restrictions on this year, and we're going to start to see the numbers come back. But you're you're exactly right. This is a people always talk about Ohio, Kentucky, Michigan, and Illinois. Like we're right in the middle of all four of those. How could you forget us? But we've got some big deer here. Oh. I mean, the whole state's nothing but a grocery store. I know it. And, and here's the thing. It's funny you, you mentioned those other states because here's my little story about why I probably will be knocking on your door here in the next year or two is uh, you, you mentioned, I, I believe you're in the Indianapolis area. So you know where I hunt in Illinois. I hunt in eastern Illinois, Coles County. I don't know if you know where that is, but it's only about – it's about uh – an hour and a half from the Indianapolis airport to where I hunt in Illinois. And if I drive out from Pennsylvania, of course, I drive right across your whole state on 70. And every time I drive through Indiana to go hunt in Illinois, not that it's not good over there and I don't like it, but I think to myself, well, this here, Indiana, is three, four hours closer. Yeah, (laughs) maybe I should just hunt here (laughs) because it looks really good. And, you know, sometimes I see some pretty good bucks running around in those fields right along the interstate. Yeah, there's there's plenty of deer here. I, Chris, if you ever want to hunt, you give me a shout. We'll we'll put you on some quality quality land. I promise you that. Well, you just made the mistake, my friend. I'm putting that down <laughs> in my little black book. Do you remember? Do you ever watch Cheers back in the day? Oh yeah, yeah, Absolutely Sam. Norm. Yeah, yeah. Remember, Sammy had his little black book. Yeah, and, and little black book of, of, of all, all the girls, all the girls. I have my little black book. See, I, you just went in the little black book. I've got this little <laughs> black book. It's like it's priceless. It's all the hunting invitations uh, that I have for good deer hunting across the country. And so you're in the book now, buddy. Uh, I love it. And I've got it. I've got this recorded so you can't even back out on me. <laughs> Nor would I want to. You get that. You get yourself over here. We'll figure it out. I promise you. Well, Sean, listen. I appreciate that. I'll make sure not to make a pest of myself. I certainly appreciate the information about leasing, uh, about being safe in the tree, and and that is sort of the most important thing. So I wish you once again good luck, and most of all. 
I wish you and, and all of our listeners not only a successful season, but a safe season here in 2018. And let's all make sure we live to tell the stories about the big ones and the bigger ones that got away. Awesome. Thank you so much, Christian. I really appreciate the opportunity. I wish you uh, the very same. Thank you for listening to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, the official podcast of hardcore bowhunters. Pick up the latest issue of Peterson's Bowhunting on your local newsstand or check us out on the web at bowhuntingmag.com.